This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, speaking of the union. Yeah. It's union member time. Oh, nice. Where we head on down to the union floor, <laughs> hit the stop button, call up one of the one of the record suggestors. Stop the line. Yeah. <laughs> Stop the line of music opinions. You have an announcement to make. Put down your blogs. Put down <laughs> your Spotify's and your whatever. Anyway, let's welcome back to the show. Tara McCook. Hi, Tara. How you doing? Good. And uh, as the daughter of a, a union member and a uh, union rep, I always appreciate that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife's union member as well, so. Uh, we are uh, a union household. That's how I get my health care. <laughs> so always very happy with that. Uh, you have joined us a, more than a few times before for some interesting episodes. There's been no rhyme or reason to your picks. They are purely personal. Uh, there's no logic behind them other than you like them. <laughs> and that's what I like. Uh, it was the Nixons back in 2018, Fighting Gravity in 2019. Indian Ocean in 2020, Cowboy, Mo- Cowboy Mouth in 2021, and New Radicals in 2022. So continuing this trend of having no clue what you're going to pick next, share with our audience your pick for 2023. Well, this time we decided to go a little bit more personal, but still kind of fun to discuss. And we went with Fight uh, Songs by the Old 97s. Old 97s. Jay, are you familiar yeah. with this band? Uh, I've come across this band a couple times. So I think in the late 90s when when I think you and I were dabbling in the alt country world, mm-hmm. um, this band would come up. And then later in, in life, as I moved to Texas and got more into Americana music, Again, they 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 would pop up here and there, you know, listening to streaming radio stations or playlists and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I've 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 heard the band. Um, I was also I remember Brett Miller having a solo career, and so I was somewhat of, uh, aware of their music and obviously well aware of the the band and and the singer. How about you? Yeah, same. I you know I was really into I guess you'd say the first wave of alternative country or. The other thing they called it was like insurgent country. Oh, I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. And country punk. That was another one. So that was where you had your, your uncle Tupelo. That was yeah. sort of like the, the big one. But then there was also, what the heck's going on with my head? My hair was all sticking up. <laughs> uh, you also had the Jayhawks and you had, um, you know, a couple other artists in that realm. And then it felt like some younger folks started to, like you had Whiskey Town shortly thereafter sort of mid nineties. Yeah. That's when the old 97s sort of, I mean, I know they started in 92, but I, I didn't really, and their first album came out in 94, but I didn't, I don't think I caught wind of them until too far to care in 97. Cause that was the first one on Electra records. And that was their, um, I want to say their third album. I think this is, I think the one that we're talking about here is their fourth album. Uh, which is Fight Songs, and that was released in 99. Hitchhike to Rome was their first record in 94, and then Wreck Your Life was on Bloodshot Records in 95. So I, I was aware, because I was like paying attention to all the bands that were coming up with regards to having anything to do with the alt-country scene, the no-depression scene as it became yeah. uh, known afterwards, after the first Uncle Tupelo record. Um, so I would like you read about them in magazines, listen to the records. I don't think I ever um, bought anything, but I definitely listened to it. And some, and Rhett Miller's 
solo records. I want to say, um, is, is it the instigator? Maybe that was the one of his solo records. I remember that one. Um, anyway, how did you discover this band, Tara? When do they come into your uh, purview? So I didn't actually catch on to the 97s and 90s. Um, my beloved husband, long career ago, we were still friends, was in college in D.C., around a whole bunch of people from the Northeast Corridor who really enjoyed making sport of him being Southern. And he kind of like started leaning into more Southern things when he got to college. <laughs> I, actually, I, did, I did a little interview with him because he was sort of the gateway into all this. And he got into them with satellite rides, actually. So it wasn't even this record. It was fully into the 2000s when he really kind of jumped full speed into the scene and was hooked from jump because he was always kind of a country fan anyway, especially Texas influenced country. So the, the Texas swing kind of sounds, especially in early records, really kind of hit him where he lived. And so the 97s and Rep Miller were really kind of a part of our like 20s and went to tons of shows. I'm actually wearing one of his shirts from the Rep Miller solo show he went to as the Black Cat in DC where he was in the merch line and the meet and greet line with Rhett was full of women our age, like fluffing the hair and fixing the makeup. <laughs> but yeah, like tons of personal memories up to and including New Year's Eve 2007 into eight at the Longhorn Ballroom in Dallas. They played a show where I was there with my then husband my now husband and one of our other friends, because my life is interesting, at a show with 2,000 people and two bartenders. Oh. <laughs> huh, there wasn't a riot? No, the music was that good. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it was getting dicey there for a minute. Well, our folks over at Patreon had some comments about this. We'll share the poll results. Every album like this gets a poll and our patrons get to vote where the album better EP or decent single. We'll share that at the end. These are their comments. Patrick Carter said, Rhett and the gang succeeded with a very enjoyable album, more rock than all country, but that can be excused. How 19 did not become a college radio staple is beyond me. Jim Copany said, I remember this being their more pure pop album after the breakthrough Too Far to Care and thinking the band had somehow managed to clean up and punch up their sound even more than I thought possible. So I was a fan of this album, but it also didn't hurt that one of my friends recorded an earlier album of theirs in Chicago. And by the time this album came out, Chicago had sort of become the old 97 second home. So I might have been biased in my judgment of the band's output around this era of their existence. Well, that's pretty cool. Have a little personal connection. Um, Bill Davidson said, worthy album, easy choice for me. Yes, it may be a disappointment for fans of the driving country rock sound of Too Far to Care. But there are also many great tunes on fight songs. Jagged, which sounds like an up-tempo version. The Bottle Rockets, $1,000 car. Uh, captures a little of the alt-rock guitar sound, so common in the 90s. Oppenheimer, not about the man behind the Manhattan Project. Indefinitely more a typical old 97s country rock track. Murder or a Heart Attack, and 19, Rhett Miller Classic. It's a little bit alt-country, a little bit adult album al al adult album alternative rock and roll. That is a hard phrase Ooh. to say. It's a preview of what was to come on Satellite Rides and Rhett's solo debut, The Instigator. And Mike Banken said, I don't know this one at all. Well, hopefully he checked it out. Gavin said, hadn't heard of this. The band name sounds like they'd be a cover band. The guitar tone is interesting at times, but this isn't for me. Jeff Gentis uh, has heard an old 90 song, old 97 song or two before, but that's it. At first listen, it sounded like some kind of paint by numbers, adult contemporary alt country, not objectionable, but not compelling. After a couple more listens, some of the tracks began to pop and I'm going to keep listening. I don't know what 21 year old me would have thought about this. Did you, did these guys go dad rock before Wilco did? <laughs> I feel like we need to actually explore at some point the dad rock phenomenon because kind of unclear what exactly qualifies as dad rock. Yeah. Because none of the dads that I hang out with listen to Wilco. 
<laughs> and, then, and then national is another one that gets mentioned as a dad rock band i'm like none nobody i know listens to the right national. right right yeah you got to be pretty hip dad to be listening they're, they're to. still listening to like like the generic radio station that plays yeah. Pearl jams yeah. alive four times right. a day like that's not that's not really dad rock yeah i mean for us it is but that's that's a different story anyway Little bit of history. History of the band. About this band, just so people are, are aware. Formed in Dallas, Texas, right up the road from you, Jay, in 1992. The members are Rhett Miller, guitar and um, vocals, uh, Murray Hammond, bass guitar, backing and lead vocals, and acoustic guitar. Ken Bathia on lead guitar, backing and lead vocals, and Philip Peoples on drums and backing vocals. They have had some substitutes for when a certain member couldn't tour. Interestingly, in 2017, their drummer couldn't tour, so Fred Armisen toured as their drummer. Wow, nice. Yeah. It's good to know he can get a gig here and there, you know, to supplement his <laughs> right, right, right. His creative his other creative endeavors. I don't know. Maybe they don't pay the bill. So he's got a tour every once in a while to, uh, to make some money. I can't imagine that's the case. Uh, and they are active. I mean, they put out their 12th album, official album in 2020. It was called 12th. They've also done a number of EPs, live albums. They did a, an EP um, with two duets with Waylon Jennings back in 2013. And so they've been consistent and, and Rhett uh, Miller has also been consistent. He's had solo records out basically every other, almost every other year or every three years in the 2020s. He just had an album out last year called the misfit. And yeah, so he's been, he's a busy guy. I don't, I wonder if he, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, we read about what people do to supplement their music income. Yeah. Like people who write for kids shows or people who own mm -hmm. bars. And I'm curious, like, I can't imagine the old 97s sell enough records to live off of that income so i wonder if he writes songs for other people or you know as a collaborator or anything like that terry do you have any idea if he's doing any outside stuff well they probably make a pretty fair amount of money off of the song questions which is not on this record it's on the next record but that's the song that was used in both scrubs and ed on the same season for proposal scenes it's the someday somebody's gotta ask you yeah like you've heard it as soon as you heard it like okay that. Yeah. and Rhett Miller himself is fascinating in a lot of ways because he's big into podcasting he's done some work for the podcast that the writer John Moe does about mental health he wrote the theme song for I think both of them um he has his own podcast about creativity he's kind of a fascinating dude in his own right you go on a tangent about him for days on end but he's also done some writing writing he's done written some children's books so there's some other interesting avenues to guys and also David Winona Ryder. So there you go. I think it sounds like he's doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I uh I have some Rhett Miller trivia. Oh, okay. It, it's on his Wikipedia page, so it's not oh okay. You know, but unless you read it. I did apparently that. his grandfather was the owner of the Dallas Texans. What? The the original NFL franchise that only lasted half a season. <laughs> really? Only half a season? Yeah, they they moved uh, to play the rest of the year out in uh, Akron, I think. Um, so this is this is before the AFL version that went on to be the Chiefs. This is like early NFL. But oh. I thought that was interesting because then later on, they have an album called, is it 12th? Yeah. It has Bart Starr on it. And they use a lot of Cowboys imagery. Mm -hmm. So there's there's definitely a tie there with uh, Dallas football. Imagine you're playing for a Dallas football team, and they're like, 
All right, guys, uh, we've decided to switch cities and we're going to Ohio. <laughs> the Wikipedia entry, it says that they're known as the NFL's worst team, both on the field and off. <laughs> that sounds, it needs like it needs a 30 by 30. It, yeah, 30 by yeah. 30 on uh, ESPN. Uh, I want to know about it. those guys. Yep. What? They didn't, ESPN, the magazine did like a long form on it at one point. Oh, okay. I'll have to read that. The other thing Rhett Miller did that I forgot to mention was, and I don't know how I forgot this considering how pervasive it was, is that during the pandemic in the early days, he effectively was the artist that launched Stage It into existence, like popular existence because he did three Stage It shows a week for like a year from his house to keep from going insane. Hmm. Oh. A lot of them. We heard a whole, whole lot of Rhett Miller playing acoustic guitar in 2020 and <laughs> that's how you remember the pandemic oh yeah and it was always in his office against the red wall with like all of his guitars and it's like you just pull it up on the tv and this is what we're doing <laughs> so so one last piece of trivia the old 97s appear on the garden guardians of the galaxy holiday special as the rock band Burr, Ms. Talak, and the Nowhere Men who sing the song, I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here. <laughs> and it was a song recorded or, or that Kevin Bacon had originally sang in 2018. I, I, don't, I don't understand. Uh, no, that's not right. Oh, they did a second song from 2018 called Here It Is Christmas Time with Kevin Bacon singing lead. Because Kevin Bacon was in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special as himself, of as course. Kevin Bacon. So I don't know why the old 97s were the, uh, maybe uh, the O'Neaters were not available for that gig. <laughs> I'm not sure. But anyway, enough trivia. Let's get into this record. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about fight songs by old 97s. I did enjoy hearing the... I'm in all many of these songs, the country root or the the aspect to it where you can kind of hear the genesis of the idea, but then they in a lot of cases here they build on them and and twist them and either do something melodically that's a little bit off what you would expect from a you know an Americana or or country interpretation of a rock song. Often that leans more towards a pop, I think sensibility, uh, like even a power pop sensibility. That's interesting. Uh, so songs like Jagged, Lonely Holiday, Let the Idiot Speak, and Valentine to me have the strongest like uh, example of you know, rooted in what you would think of as an American or country song, but then twisting it and going in slightly different direction, uh, either in the chorus or different aspects of the song um, to make it more pop, more accessible. Also even like, um, a song like what we talk about not as much country more of like a mariachi kind of latin feel to that which i appreciate and kind of now that i live in texas understand like where that's coming from and it actually reminds me of a, a newer band called the vandaliers that do a similar kind of thing that are from dallas so uh hearing those roots and then hearing how they interpret and expand on that i thought worked really well time is scarce in the radar with your friends You're on holiday On a bender In a day You found all night food In a diner Full of noise Where the bathroom walks Like ants Across your plates Cause I know What this is also some i think kind of understated but really uh creative guitar work on the record uh right out of the gate the first song uh jagged you know you get that what you would expect you know that acoustic sound kind of lay the chords out for the song but then 
a really, really kind of nasty d- distortion comes on. Uh, this fuzzed out guitar that it's very melodic, but when you listen to the tone, it is not what I would expect somebody to use. Uh, and I think that's set up for me, uh, you know, keeping my ears open for, okay, there, there's obviously a very a slightly off kilter perspective on how, how to handle guitar here uh, that, than what I would expect. And you get, um, you know, some more textbook stuff from, you know, re, you know, bending notes with a lot of reverb and a lot of textures and different kinds of electric tones. Um, but there's some really cool guitar solos. There's also some really strong melodies in particular that uh, guitar lines that start songs off that then the vocal picks up on. So, you know, they're kind of thematically important. There's also a lot of really cool guitar parts that are uh, exchanging with the vocal and become really critical in terms of almost a calm response um, throughout the record. So uh, I just, I found the guitars to be um, kind of understated when you listen to the record, you're like, okay, whatever. But I think when you, if you give some attention to it and really listen, there's some really clever stuff going on. There's some interesting tones. It's pretty layered too. So there's, there's a lot to pick up on and uh, there's some creative solos and melodies. And then the last thing is just, there, there's some songs here where I think it really goes over the, to the pop side and, and steps out of, you know, the kind of that country core, that Americana core. And a couple of those songs I thought worked well in that they, they did some creative things with instrumentation and production to really grab you with a, with a cool musical hook um, or even a vocal hook. So like Oppenheimer is a good example. There's that little turnaround where, uh, it's playing a guitar, but it also is layered up with some, I think, bells or something. But it just gives it this uh, like 60s pop vibe to it. Busted Afternoon was another example where there's this um, little little interlude in there that almost gives it like a partridge family or a monkeys kind of feel. Like, uh, so it's just kind of a, I think, a unique way to make the pop stuff really stand out be different and also call back a little bit maybe to you know to more of a 60s pop sound um 19 uses does a is a similar in that it uses these layered vocals which they don't you know use a ton on the record but that's an example where you know when they get to that hook that uh they layer the vocals on a little bit more and it really helps pop it up a little bit so uh even the songs that you know are a little bit more straightforward in terms of you know not being so genre oriented um, there's a couple on here. I think they're really clever in how they do use production to, to really make the hooks work better. What worked for you, Tim? Well, I started this talking about how this was sort of like second wave alt country and tied them to whiskey town who we've talked about. Yep. And my problem with whiskey town and riot Adams besides his creepiness yeah. is the fact that I don't like necessarily believe him as a, I don't believe his shtick. Like it seems like he's playing at being a country singer rather than actually living it. I don't know what that means exactly. I just, I get a sense of inauthenticity from him and I don't get that from Rhett Miller in the 97s. Like I, I feel this feels very genuine and like you mentioned about the sixties pop, like I, you know, a song like busted afternoon has a very birds esque feel. I was sort of hearing with a lot of this was the poppier end of the 60s 
uh, country aspect of you know like what Roger McGuinn was doing mm. and um obviously there's a Neil Young influence like the jagged guitar that you mentioned is very Neil Young-esque in terms of that big distortion um that's kind of it's like a pretty song but then you have this big distorted yeah. guitar which is a very Neil Young thing to do to take something that's pretty and and cover it in a layer yeah. of distortion that uh you know probably kevin shields took note of that yeah makes it a little bit hairy and unpredictable right and that's that's what works best for me on this because it reminds me of what i was originally attracted to with uncle tupelo was that weird combination of these lyrics and approaches that are steeped in country music but then applying subtle alt rock aspects or punk if you want to talk about it in in tupelo's um uh sound you know they were called like dinosaur jr meets you know johnny cash and this is more refined than that but i think in that refinement you get some really great melodies and some great lyrics um Rhett Miller's just he's got a really nice voice like it just kind of like sits properly it doesn't even though it's definitely mixed in almost a pop sense like it's it's a very yeah. upfront vocal I don't get the sense that it's like separate from the rest of the band like it feels like a band playing together it's just clear that they were trying to you know mix for radio which made sense because you know it was anything goes at this point in in the 90s so they could have easily um I, I don't know what this did in terms of uh college radio and it's a little too early for satellite but i'm thinking like you know satellite radio probably i, I haven't had a satellite radio in like 10 years but i remember there was like a whole a whole channel dedicated to like country and all country and stuff like that and i gotta imagine that rep miller and old 97s get played on there somewhat because it's like it's just perfect these are like two and a half to three and a half mostly a couple four minute long songs but they're really tight they're catchy he's got a good vocal he knows where to find a hook and i like the fact that they they touch on some country sounds in terms of like a shuffle beat yeah. like that will happen or you know, you hear the bass line, doo -doo 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 -doo. you'll hear that stuff, but it's not overwhelming. Like mm -hmm. it's not going to turn somebody off that like, I don't like country. Yeah. It's only like a little bit here and there, a little, a little taste. But for the most part, these are kind of straightforward alt rock songs with country twists. Like they find a way to, to twist them. And I can understand like in comparison to the previous record, which is really the only one other that I know, like that is a little bit, more in the country end of things whereas this they refined it which makes sense i mean that's the natural trajectory for a band that happened with uncle tupelo it happened with you know the jayhawks they got more streamlined and they made a straight they made like a pop record with smile around this time as well so it makes sense they were using like drum machines and shit like <laughs> tell me that the Jayhawks of Hollywood Town Hall would be utilizing drum machines by the end of the decade. Yeah. And I would have been like, yeah, okay, bud. Like, that's not it. That's not happening. I'm glad that this band doesn't go that direction. I'm glad that they, that the pop is still within the confines of a, of a four piece band. Yeah. Did want to mention though, John Bryan plays on this album. Uh, he plays organ on wow. murder or a heart attack, which is really one of the, one of the really best songs on this record it, yeah it is a good song
But I learned this song is about a cat, uh, which if you if you listen to it and you're like, oh, it's a love song about wanting your lover to come back and you're leaving the back door open. No, 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 no. It's about a cat that ran away. Right. Sometimes you shouldn't know the, the actual <laughs> meaning of the song. Because <laughs> now I listen to it. I'm like, this is just a goofy song about a cat. And it's not about, but I guess, you know, Somebody else might not know that, so they might take it in a different direction. But that's fine. So, Tara, you've obviously you're obviously familiar with this record. You've lived with it for a while. Uh, what works best for you on it? So, I picked Fight Songs in particular because it is the middle piece of their three part trajectory through the major labels, right? So, if you go back to the very first two records before they got picked up by the major, they're real raw. They're real like draggy country, like the rasp and the voices there. There's no polish. There's no none of this. It's like you can hear the pops and like, like you can hear that they know how to write rock songs, but we are doing Texas country, baby. Like that's the thing we're doing. And when you get to uh, Too Far to Care, they're starting to clean it up a little bit, but it's still real rough, right? They're still kind of going for the bar band thing. Mm-hmm. And transition piece, to satellite rides where that whole like slick sound takes all the way over. So um, the Village Voice kind of had a sweet spot for the 97s. Like they reviewed all their records and Chris Gow in particular, like reviewed all their records. And I actually wondered, Tim, if you had read the thing I was going to read you and you said all the stuff you said, because the first sentence of the review is fight songs. Now alt country only by historical association, Rhett Miller and Associates deliver with a no depression crowd always wanted a jangle rock album worthy of the birds themselves. Hmm. That was like like right there. You know, so I thought it was interesting. And I also thought it was interesting that you brought up Whiskey Town so many times because this record also contains the most beautiful diss track, mm-hmm. Ryan X, History of Life, the one Murray Hammond track, Crash on the Barrelhead, right? Which happens to be my beloved favorite song because it's the most sort of, I would say, classic country influence of the whole thing. And I think it works for different reasons. So there's just kind of a lot going on in the record itself that almost is a better story than a record to me. But I do like the evolution in songwriting, in song craft that comes forward that's kind of the eventual, like, look, we know you appreciate and love Texas country, but you're good at this. Keep doing this. And that's what's going to kind of carry you forward into being more interesting. So I like it for the growth it shows and kind of the overall package that carries them into the band that they became, you know? Yeah, the lyrics to Crush on the Barrelhead are, they are, um, they get to the point. The... <laughs> There's the lyric. Uh, so it says, you're going to crash on the barrel head, son. I don't know what a, I mean, a barrel head. I'm assuming that's the top of a barrel. Unless there's what something. Reference, like something at the end of a train track. Okay. You'll regret the things you've done. One of these days, you're going to rue all the messed up things you do. You're going to die the way you live. And the way you drink, you're like a river bound for falls. Not much fun. You're going to crash on the barrel head, son. And it's, uh, Towards the end, it says, um, you'll hate your face when the morning shines on the mirror frame and your guilty mind. Like, damn, Rhett. Well, actually, it was Murray. So I guess Murray had a thing for, uh, yeah, for Mr. And um, that was in the worst of the drinking days of the front man of Whiskey Town. And um, turns out they might have been right. I'm just saying. <laughs> turns out he had some very pointed words that were accurate. So, yeah, they, I, what's funny is, you know, I, so I heard, I listened to the previous record when, I don't know if it was right when it came out, but it was around that time. Um, I don't know when I listened to this, but I, I did listen to this at some point. But me back in 99 would not have connected as well with this as now because I was, I would probably have been like, this is too produced. Like I want something even more raw. And 
because the way that Wilco handled like leaving the country behind was just getting really weird, which worked for them because then I wasn't like, this is too clean and produced. I was like, what is that backwards singing guitar drum loop craziness going on here? Like I was so focused on that part of it. I was like, I didn't even really care that they weren't twanging it up anymore. But, you know, 24 years later, now I can hear this with like different ears and go, okay, I see the craft in this. I see where what I maybe would have missed the first time around and thought it was too clean, thought it was too, you know, not perfect, but just it was too radio friendly that I would have been turned off by it, but not anymore. Um, Jay, did you have any similar thoughts in terms of like uh, how how the production on this being clean and radio friendly? Yeah, yeah. It's on the f- face. It's it's sugary. Uh, that was my impression. As I dug into it more, I started to you know like we mentioned, started to pick up on the oh wow these guitars are actually like really distorted and weird, mm-hmm. and I started pulling back the layers. And I started to like pull apart the, oh, this part's actually like a callback to, you know, more of a 60s kind of vibe. And this is a callback to more Texas country. And I started to hear the influences and piece some things together. And to me, that's where the depth came in. So I'm with you. Like, had I heard this in the late 90s, it probably wouldn't have been dark enough for me. Yeah. Um, I, I was wanting something more. I think at that point, we were our, our favorite. Jayhawk's record was Sound of Lies, which is the like darkest mm-hmm. record. Um, I w- would have been looking for something like that. Uh, but now <clears throat> I can appreciate how those all those different things come together. Um, the only thing that didn't work for me, I think, on the record is just it then I think sets the expectation right out of the gate, like, okay, this is this is a you know a polished sounding record. Um, it's definitely going for a pop vibe. I think there's some strong melodies and there's some hooks here and there. I just wish it was a little stronger. Um, I think from just the, maybe even the vocal standpoint, when it comes to the hooks, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the way he sings, but often I found myself looking, like I mentioned earlier, like looking for these little, these little riffs or licks or guitar leads or, I was focusing a lot on the guitar to pick up on the melodic hook and not often enough hearing it from the vocal. Um, I think some of the, the verses are super strong. Um, like let the idiot speak is an example where I do like that chorus a lot. It's just not, um, it's not like a pop chorus, you know? So it's a, to me, it sounds like a pop produced record, but some of the songs don't quite get there. Um, from a songwriting standpoint, I think from a vocal standpoint to really, I think, cross over into something super big and really catchy and you just can't get out of your head. You know, it doesn't quite go there, Um, which would be fine if I think it didn't kind of promise that with the production. So I was kind of left with like, well, I think this is wanting to be like a, you know, super hooky pop record by the way it sounds, but it's not quite delivering that. So that, that's like kind a, of what didn't work for me. Okay. That's yeah. I'm in the same boat. Cause there's like parts of this where it hits an absolute sweet spot. Like 19 is a good example. Yeah. That song is a sweet spot for me, but then a song like Oppenheimer. Yeah. is so jangly poppy, but not jangly in like a, a birdsy way jangly in like a, Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something yeah. kind of way. Right. Which is not what I want from this band. There were stars in her hair beneath the quarter moon, beneath the quarter moon. In this girl, we were going somewhere on a road called Oppenheimer. Working it out, we got a long way to go, we got a long way to go. Me and this girl, we've been having it out on a road called Oppenheimer. 
Or if you're going to do that, you need to be as hooky as that song is. Yes. Right. <laughs> Which I don't think Oppenheimer is. No. So that's where it, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't mind like a song like indefinitely with that shuffle. Yeah. Um, I think if it was like half the album, I would get annoyed by it. Uh, Cause I don't, that was the one thing that I did like about like the Jayhawks and Sunvolt and early Wilco and even a lot of uncle Tupelo's they didn't fall into, they had traditional country like chord progressions, um, vocal arrangements and melodies, but they mostly stayed away from a lot of the beats that are predictable in the same way that like hardcore bands play essentially the same kind of beat or punk bands. Like I, there's a lot of like country music that utilizes the same sort of shuffle beat. Uh, I feel like when you limit, when you, if it's done really well and you keep it to like one or two songs, that's fine. So that was a little bit of a concern. Um, I think Busted Afternoon, because it has that like, uh, like you said, Birdsian, even it has, I mean, the guitar part almost could be like a George Harrison kind of part. Um, some of that the acoustic picking stuff so it does it's even though it's kind of got a countryish feel as well it's not as blatant um so but i yeah there wasn't a ton i was particularly put off by let's put it that way so it's like one or two things here and there tara is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record opposite side of the same coin right i like it because it's a transition piece that shows growth but it's a transition piece and so it's almost having a mini identity crisis in a lot yeah. of like too far to care is a texas alt country like that brushed drums guitar tone like that's what they're going for that's what they're doing into so it you walk in with that identity like they lead off too far to care with like Time Bomb, which is the show they all, the song they always end all the shows with, which is if I picked that record, that's what I would have told you in my pre-production, like you have to end the Time Bomb because that's the joke, right? But it, you know, this monstrous bar song and all the songs that kind of follow through it, like, you know, you get the barrier reef and he's in there like, my name's Stuart Ransom Miller and I'm a serial lady killer, you know, like there's a thing on that record. They start you out in a different direction, just like Jay said, but they don't quite go all the way through. Like they're still kind of living in both spaces. And Satellite Ride drops back a lot of it. You know, it's the rest of the evolution, which also happens to be the end of their major label journey. They had the three shots major label. And then they're like, all right, boys, it's not going to happen. Which is pretty unusual for that time period. You know what I mean? Like giving a band like this three shots on a major label, that's... For, for the mid to late 90s that's that's an accomplishment somebody at that record label did not get fired and kept their job for for three records because they they didn't drop them when an A&R guy got fired so uh, congrats to that guy for staying employed for more than six months but yeah, um, but it, same kind of thing of like it just it needed to kind of decide what it wanted to be as like a full record like each of the pieces of the record are great like they're songs that stand well on their own but when you match them all together it kind of goes sideways in the middle yeah I, yeah I, that totally makes sense is this being a transition record it's a little bit of a mishmash that way so that makes sense um so this came out in like i said 99 on electra is this the, is this what year did was it 98 that 1965 came out jay by the fk wigs or that was in 99 right that was 98 uh, i believe 98 yeah just look at electra like putting out records that have no business being on a major <laughs> label just throwing them out there and seeing what happens <laughs> uh i don't know what this did in terms of 
sales or radio because there's nothing on the on the wiki for them but oh it didn't it did not chart this record they didn't chart until satellite rides okay that makes sense um so i guess it's not surprising i mean i would there's not to me there isn't like a killer single on this that would make sense for either people were talking about adult alternative radio or or college radio i mean i guess i don't know what if you were going to pick a i guess murder or heart attack would be the single right because it's got yeah. a catchy hook 340 i mean it's like perfect single length yep it starts with the the hook at the beginning and mm-hmm. the probably the strongest chorus on the record yeah maybe 19 they released both murder or heart attack and 19 as singles and they charted in the top 10 of the triple a chart of the triple a okay six and nine respectively and then i guess that was probably the strength that got them the one more shot okay maybe you had a top 10 right and then uh satellite rides came out in march of 2001 um now what's interesting is when you go to the wikipedia you know they have genre and for um for too far to care this genre is alternative country country rock and then when you go to fight songs it's alternative country country rock alternative rock power pop okay and then when you go to satellite rides it's alternative country and power pop so apparently like apparently power pop is I don't like I don't get power pop from this. I get jangle rock or jangle pop, but I don't get necessarily a power pop. Like I don't see the line from this to cheap trick or this to big star, but I do see it to, to some of the jangle pop bands. Like I can see the connection between this and um even Matthew Sweet, but like the earlier stuff, the more jangly stuff. Not the not the more riff rocky stuff, uh, but is power pop a legitimate comparison, Tara, or or genre distinction for this album? I don't think so. Get it from so going real, real, real back in the earliest, earliest days of these guys playing together, they had a power pop trio. Murray and Rhett had a power pop trio and uh, they called it Sleepy Heroes. It's on uh, Rhett's Wikipedia page. They talk a little bit about it. So I almost huh. wonder if it's like they're dragging that association forward. But yeah, uh, I mean, not really. No, like I think Matthew Sweet and even, you know, like a more musically talented version of some of those late 90s one hit wonder bands like you was some thing you know there there's a there's a ghost of that in there but i don't, I don't see power pop nah yeah i don't i think sometimes that ter- that term is used to describe just like rock oriented pop or guitar oriented pop that maybe is where it's coming from got it all right just just my guess let's share our overall ratings for this record and then we'll share the patron results is this a worthy album a better ep or a decent single jay what do you say boy i'm right on the edge um i've waffled on this record a little bit as i uh took my notes and and really kind of highlighted tracks that i liked i'm gonna go at an ep um and stick with the stuff that i think is uh, strong and I haven't waffled on like Oppenheimer is a good example of a song where like sometimes I've heard that and, and and thought about it and listened to it and and can hear like okay yeah there's some really creative things in here and I, I like melodically what it's doing and what the guitars are but then there's other times it comes on and I just find it a little like lackluster or irritating so <clears throat> I'm going to rule out the songs that like that and go with uh jagged lonely holiday what we talk about murder or heart attack busted afternoon 19 let the idiot speak 
uh, I'll throw Valentine on. It's kind of, to me, the uh, more traditional country song, but I think it's a good album closer. So, you know, like seven, eight tracks, I think in, uh, would make up my EP here. 70s album, if you will. I'm really close to you. Um, I would add indefinitely and toss off Valentine. Um, so I'm at like seven tracks as well. I will say 70s album, give you that. And uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's real solid and interesting. And actually, um, my wife has friends over. They're puzzling right now and uh, fellow music teachers. And I put this on so they could hear it. And one of them was like, oh, I like this already. Like as soon hmm. as the he started singing the first verse of the first song. So. Wow. It, it was a hit in the room. <laughs> they actually were like, can we just come in and critique the record? And I'm like, you haven't heard the record. Right. Like, well, we could just do it live. I'm like, I think that would be a disaster. <laughs> to have four. Get some sauce music teachers in here. Exactly. There's <laughs> already hot takes been on through them. two bottles of red wine. I don't think that that's a good idea. <laughs> Give hot takes. Well, from a music standpoint, it might be interesting. We'll have to try. We'll have to put that up. Uh, maybe combine that with our hot wings <laughs> idea, right. where we eat hot wings and answer oh, questions. Episode. Yeah, sauce music teachers review the nineties, <laughs> and then I'll get fired. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll make it patron only. Be super low key. Yes, Tara. It's perfunctory, but I'm going to ask you: Where do you land? Where the album better EP or decent single? So I'm on a worthy album because I think it works, you know, to sort of like, but really only in context, you all raise really fair points about how I think a 70s album would have probably been better for this, but just for kind of all of the reasons and then how it's a really important sort of launch pad for the band. I think that makes sense that I, you know, it kind of works from a fandom perspective because, you know, I can't come into this like, I really tried so hard to be like, I'm going to be objective about this band. That's like a touchstone. You can't do it. It's a touchstone in my life. It, it has too many memories. There's too much stuff there. So I can't be fully objective, but yeah, it, it's probably a better 70s album if it could settle down its identity crisis. It's a tiny, tiny bit. So I want to share this because we've talked about other outlets and what their original reviews were. This got it. This got okay to good reviews for the most part when it came out. It got a three and a half out of five by all music. Austin Chronicle gave it four out of five stars. The Boston Phoenix gave it three out of four stars. Entertainment Weekly gave it an A minus. Los Angeles Times gave it three out of four stars. Rolling Stone, three out of five, but then they revised it for the Rolling Stone album guide and gave it four out of five. Spin gave it a seven out of 10 and the Village Voice an A. Pitchfork gave it a four out of 10. And it's, what you would expect from a 1999 pitchfork it's snarky and it's all personal mm -hmm. like me 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 this is what i expected and this is what i wanted and i didn't get it so now i'm going to complain lovely yeah uh so i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna give the writer's name any publicity because he doesn't deserve it but you can go look it up if you want our patrons for the most part they were on Worthy Album, 70%. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a very that's strong, strong, yeah. A very strong result. 10% better EP, 20% decent single. So the, the people that, the few people that this didn't work for, it didn't work for, which is fine. This, I know a lot of people who don't like alternative country. Like that's, it could, it's like the most boring thing in the world to them. They want pop music or they want, you know metal or whatever and this is not for them and that's fine but seven out of ten people who voted voted for uh were the album which it's actually 10 because there were 10 votes so that worked out <laughs> so it was seven out of ten it wasn't just the percentage it was the actual number if you would like to be like uh, these people you can join us at patreon by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com just like Tara McCook did 
Tara, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We know you're busy and you don't get to like hop onto the discord and, and have conversations and all that kind of stuff, but we appreciate whenever you're able to hop into the comment section and leave some comments. Cause we get different perspectives. Like when you talked about no doubt and how important they were to you, uh, that was a different perspective than a lot of people gave. So I appreciate that. I'm excited to actually have picked something that the others like, especially after last time. Last time. <laughs> well, I don't think of it always as like, it's good to that everybody likes. Like, I think it's, I mean, yeah, you want everybody to like your pick, but I also think challenging stuff is interesting too from time to time that you're just like, I didn't get it. I mean, if there's talent here, but I have no idea what's going on or it's 45 minutes of noise uh, <laughs> from Japan. <laughs> and we have, and you're just like, I, I guess this is punk rock. I don't know. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But thank you for being a part of the community. We greatly appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Uh, some closing uh bits and pieces for the folks out there if you want to suggest an album that people like tara get to vote on you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com and suggest a record every month we have our tournament 27 albums enter one album leaves there's currently a battle going on right now by the time this episode posts we will know the winner of the march tournament it's a, it's another doozy i mean that march tournament what do we got in there, Jay? We got Juliana Hatfield. We've got Swerve Driver. We've got my page won't reload. Come on. Where is it? American football. American football. Rollins band. Cocteau twins. I Dream mean, theater. Seriously. Jets to Brazil. Yeah. That is a murderer's row. That is 27 Yankees right there. <laughs> One of those is Lou Gehrig and someone's other than Lou Gehrig, who else? I don't even know who played on those teams. My God, that's almost a hundred years ago. It's almost, that's, this is true. You're good at math. I, I'm just saying, no, I said to, I said to Katie the other day, I'm like, we're, we are now closer to 1980. We are as close to 1980 as we were in 1980 to world war two. I know. I think about that. And then I punched myself in the face really hard. We watched clueless the other night (laughs) and, uh, uh, that's going on 30 years old. Yeah, uh, We had two comments. One, I guess they're related. Um, while that, you know, the people in that movie are over the top and they were over the top at the time, things haven't changed that much. <laughs> like fashion-wise and just, it's not that different. And if you could, in contrast, think about the year it came out if you went back 30 years, you're going back to the late sixties. Mm-hmm. So if you think about how much fashion changed between 1966 and 1996, it's pretty shocking. And the difference between 1996 and now is not that different. <laughs> it's pretty close. I know it's marginally different. So Back then, I was wearing red velour tracksuits, and I'm still wearing red velour tracksuits. So, yeah, that's a good point, though. I've I've heard that uh, about that are the thing that's evolving isn't our culture; it's our technology. Right, right. Culture is like stuck, and technology is going way too fast. Right. Yeah. Speaking of technology. We can deliver a newsletter to your email. <laughs> just like we could in 1996. We just <laughs> still do it now. But it's got pictures, <laughs> not ASCII art. ASCII <laughs> art. This is true. <laughs> it's not Tim there p- punching ones and zeros to, to make a tree. It's, uh, it's Jay using mid-journey AI <laughs> to create fictitious album covers. Uh. So the box newsletter goes out every week. You can sign up for it at digmeoutpodcast.com and you can read it when you're a patron. Two new reviews or two reviews of new releases, uh, music, movies, books, TV shows relevant to 80s, 90s, and the aughts music that we cover. Lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave us kind words 
and positive feedback. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. I was only 19. I was only 19.